is not that you want people to do what you want, mm. which is a very short-sighted definition of influencing. To me, the role of the leader is to engage people in a way that they do what they want. Mm. And as leaders, it's important that we show them that what we need to do or the solution we come up together to a problem, again, an opportunity, is what they are passionate about. It's time to get inside your own head. Begin with the psychology behind your behaviors and fuse it with an acute understanding of self-awareness, emotion, storytelling, body language, and more. Then look at it all through the lens of the latest neuroscience research, broken down to its most digestible form. And you've arrived. Enhanced messaging, deeper connection, heightened influence, and a greater impact on the world. Welcome to the neuroside of influence and leadership with Rene Rodriguez. I am Marcelo Montero, born and raised in Argentina in the southern tip of the Americas. Lived in three countries, uh, the US for the last uh, about 15 years. So um, I'm a father of four, love soccer, love the outdoors, and I happen to have been working for a big multinational company for the last uh, 30 years. So I've done a number of things. I've been a managing director, a general manager of businesses in Argentina, in Venezuela, globally for the company, and uh, now I lead strategy for a multi-billion dollar enterprise within this company. Very cool. And so one, one of the things that I always was so impressed with you was you brought ideas to the table that back when nobody was talking about them, things like storytelling, or even mindfulness and having just a different awareness around team building. If, if I mean, it's over the overused term, but the true v reality around team managing change. Tell me, you know, how have you used those and maybe your background, where did you, where did that thinking come from for you? You work with very smart people. So people for the most part are very, very smart. And uh, so people get ideas. People understand concepts, understand logic, understand how things need to be done. The problem as leaders is how we move people to action, how we mobilize people to, to act on the direction we want as a group to, to take. And uh, what I realized uh, many, some years ago is that logic is not enough. I mean, it's, it's a necessary condition. So the solution of a problem or an opportunity needs to make sense, needs to be good. We are human, so we understand that. But the difficult part, Rene, is, is really mobilizing people to action. And for that, you need to engage the heart. And to engage the heart, you have to tell stories. Interesting. So I, I love what you said. You said in working with such brilliant people mm -hmm. that should understand the logic, but you said logic isn't enough. And you, what I love what you just said, which is actually what I wanted to talk about, was the power of storytelling. So can you expand on what you meant by logic isn't enough and what you found and maybe how you've used storytelling? Well, you taught me that, Rene. <laughs> I wish I could say <laughs> that I taught, taught you that. You taught me that many years ago. <laughs> the different parts of the brain, right? Mm -hmm. So I have no question that people get it, okay? I have no question that a huge majority of the people understand what needs to be done in an organization, in a corporation, in a school, in any, very much in any human setting. The problem as leaders is how do we move people to, to act? Mm -hmm. How do we get people to... To, to take a specific action, to engage themselves in, in the solution, in the problem, in, in the opportunity. And for that, you need to engage other parts of the brain. Mm. And the other, you need to engage, you know, the simple way to put it is you need to engage the hearts. Mm. 
Stories engage the hearts because we've been as humans telling stories for millennia, mm. right? Yeah. The written word is relatively new in human history and we grew and we developed telling stories. But somehow in the corporate world today, we seem to have forgotten that. The hardest part is moving people to action, to influence them to be able to take action. And what you're finding is that storytelling is the piece and the way to ignite that part of them. It is. And it's a little bit more than that. It's not that you want people to do what you want, mm. which is a very short-sighted definition of influencing. To me, the role of the leader is to engage people in a way that they do what they want. And as leaders, it's important that we show them that what we need to do or the solution we come up together to a problem, again, an opportunity, is what they are passionate about, mm. what they want to do. That's the way you engage the heart of people, when they have a vested emotional involvement in what we're doing together. And so would you say that part of the leadership is also finding and hiring the right people that initially would want to do something like that? Because if it's something they want to do and you're reigniting something they want, what if it's something they, they don't want to do? I think that it's not about finding the right people because you don't know what people want to do. You never know. You will never know. Mm. They know. So our job is to, through storytelling, through creating spaces, through creating opportunities, is to give a, you know, open up a room for people to really find if that's their passion. If it is, they will stay with you, with the team. Mm. If it is not, they probably find something else to do. You're reminding me of when you moved business units to a new unit within the company and you went and traveled to a lot of different areas and you just listened. If I remember, I mean, tell me if I'm doing this, if I'm saying this correctly. And before you presented what the new vision was in terms of what it was, you put an entire presentation together to say, this is what I've heard. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you did that and what the results were? Yes, I remember it. That was, uh, I remember the opportunity because uh, we, we did a, a, a program after that and I think it's very important to listen and to learn first. And as leaders, we need to be humble. We need to understand that we don't know the answers. People know the answers. The collective know the answers. Mm. And, our, and our job, again, is to create the space for those answers to emerge. So in this example that, uh, that you're alluding to, yes, I was new in a business, and they happened to have their annual meeting of all the top uh, 40 leaders of this business. And I sat down through three days of meetings, uh, again, new, first week in the job. And after the three days, I gave them a presentation of what I've, I've heard. And all my presentation was around pictures and thoughts. <laughs> and I would, uh, don't remember exactly, but I would say that about 80% of that presentation was emotions. Very little was logic because I didn't know the business, but I can read the emotions they had about things and opportunities. So here you are, a part of a multi-billion dollar organization, talking about emotions and pictures. Did you ever run up against any opposition to this? All the time. <laughs> All the time. And, you know, we don't like to talk about that. Even today, you know, people don't want to wear masks because they think it's a sign of a weakness. Mm. And if you know who you are, if you're certain about yourself, then you shouldn't be concerned about that. The corporate world is not a world today made for the heart. It's mostly a world for logic. You follow logic, you take action. A leads to B, B leads to C, therefore A leads to C. And that's it. There's no room for, for emotion. Mm. So when you introduce concepts such as uh, mindfulness, people get very scared because it's like holding a mirror in front of them. What do you mean? We're going to take 10 minutes 
to <laughs> do what? To just sit around and well, yes, that's it's essentially creating space. And today, I was talking to a colleague uh, this past week in the middle of this pandemic, and you know, being at home with kids, with their spouse who's also working, can be very difficult. And she was telling me, I don't have time for myself. Mm. So I resorted to some of the things we learned together, which is mindfulness. So 10 minutes, that's all it takes. The importance of centering and opening a space. We are systems. I mean, we are a system, a human system, where things come together to operate in a specific way. So the way to operate at the highest possible level what you were talking about, the elite sports or scientists, is when all the components of the systems are yeah. aligned. So meditation, which is, you know, to me, is certainly open up a space and breathing, being present, very present in what you're about to do. That's mindfulness to me. Yeah. But it's essentially aligning all the components of the system to make it work. It's a very simple concept but people are scared of it. And so give me an example of, of how you've used storytelling. I think you were going to tell us a story. Storytelling is a very important part of what we do as leaders. So to me, if I want to start a process or a discussion, typically I will start with a story. I will start with a story that is relevant to the situation. I will start with a story that, uh, that engages the hearts and minds of people in my prior job at the company I worked for, I would uh, take, I would write a column every month mm. about a specific business issue, either, you know, could be the budget, could be an achievement, could be a customer success story, could be a recognition to somebody or a community event. I would look for a story and then uh, build on it and use that story to then tell the, what I wanted to do. And you know what? Uh, one example of that was year end and I was uh, running out of stories. So I decided to um, hide the names of Pink Floyd songs. I'm a very big Pink Floyd fan. So I wrote a story and I hid about 40 titles of songs within my story. Wow. And then I told people, you got to go and find them. <laughs> well, they still, they said, well, you're going to do it again. And they started to give me, give me, you know, giving me different rock bands to do that because they felt engaged with it. Yeah. And of course, then they, they read what we wanted them to read and people become engaged about, again, in this case was the year-end uh, assessment of how we've done, but the story is what gets the attention. So the story helps the framing of what you want to do. It helps uh, engaging hearts and minds. And then when you tie it down at the end, you bring it together and That's, it all makes sense. I, I love that you're taking, it's not even just storytelling, you're using story which could be something engaging something that triggers a memory a music and triggers because you're saying how do you engage the hearts and minds well you're using pink floyd which triggers music music which triggers emotion and if you love it, it triggers your heart i mean that's it's a beautiful way of thinking about influencing and so this is an interesting question for you because if i'm listening to this and i've never done this before and i'm hearing you talk about engage the hearts and minds what in the world does that mean we are systems of things components, humans, right? So we have- um, But what does that even mean? And we're systems, like you break, unpack that for me. Okay, so we as leaders, our job is to really create a space for us to be at our best, okay? okay? So to engage the hearts and minds means find a way 
to bring the full potential of you, René, to what we have to do together. That is, find the things or help you find the things that make you passionate about what you do and why you're here. Mm. So it's got a lot to do with purpose. It's got a lot to do with your vision for yourself. It's got to do what you want to achieve in your career. But you're choosing to be with certain people, spending your days and your hours. It's got to be for some reason, right? So help find what that reason is. And then you engage the hearts when you make that reason tangible, almost physically tangible to people, you know, appealing to emotion, appealing to a story that evokes a memory, and that memory then touches another memory, and all of a sudden it begins to make sense. And then as I know your story, I'm your teammate, and I know how you reacted to something, then I feel all of a sudden a connection with you. And then we begin to create this, almost it's like a collective body that we don't see that we don't touch, but that exists there. Mm. There's a story uh, you probably remember in, 90, in the early 70s. There was this uh, plane crash in the Andes with a rugby team from Uruguay. And there's movies and documentaries, and uh, a lot of them died, but a few of them actually made it after more than two months in the mountains. Wow. Okay? And they said the one thing that saved them was that they were able to create a communion, a collective that didn't exist. Mm. And that was connecting humans, connecting with each other. And they said that because sometimes, you know, they had, they had the plane crash, they had an avalanche. This is people who were traveling with families. So yeah. some, some of them lost their mothers, their sister, their father, their brother, and a few of them kept going. Mm. And you can still hear them talk. And they say that that was the collective, the collective person that didn't essentially was the collective that we all made. So engaging the hearts and minds means that, means bringing that collective to life. A sense of individual purpose that is aligned with the collective purpose that we have, that is aligned with my passion. So essentially this, what I'm doing doesn't feel like work yeah. because I love to be here. That's so deep. And you know, as I'm listening to this, I'm trying to listen from the perspective of the new leader, the new manager who's thinking, I got budgets to hit. I got sales quotas to meet. I got people that you know don't e- aren't even wanting to be here. How do I fire? And you're talking about collective minds, and we got strategies to, to to live out. What do you say to that that person? You have to be realistic in life too. And uh, something that helped me, and my father taught me that. He said, "Of uh, it's very difficult that you love absolutely love everything you do. I mean, it would be ideal, would be." idyllic, mm-hmm. but it's very difficult too. So I take a ve- I'm also a pragmatic guy. And I take, I say, well, you know, of 10 things I do, whatever that is, I really st- strive to have five or six that I really love. Mm-hmm. There's two or three that I'm neutral, but I'll do them because I'm part of a team, I'm part of the collective, I'm part of a family, I'm part of a, you know, corporation. There's always one or two things I don't want to do, but they're part of my job. And I got to do them. So the best way to think about it is also being realistic because it's not all about, you know, being fluffy and, you know, out there and mind, mindfulness. All of those are tools. At the end of the day, you are, you are who you are. And I think what, what I wanted to add to that too is that at your level, there are certain standards that are, in a lot of industries, wouldn't 
I guess maybe they would compromise it. So y- you do show up every day. People have to show up every day. They have to meet budget. They have to be hit their quotas. They have Those are sort of the price of entry to even be on a team like mm-hmm. yours. And at that point, once you've achieved those basic level performance issues, now you start asking these bigger questions. And I, th- I think that because a new leader might listen to this and go, okay, but I've got these really short-sighted things. Because I think that's what it comes down to is these short-sighted things that are right in front of me. But then if you just stay that short-sighted, you never see what's out in front, which is that, like you said, I loved it. You said, we're still doing this for a purpose. And if we don't look at that purpose, why are we doing this? Yes, um, fully agree with what you're saying. In addition to that, we have to look at difficult things as opportunities to stretch and grow. There's always a learning. Mm. Why do we have to make this tough decision? Why do I have to sit in this meeting? Why do I have to fire this person? Or why do I have to you know, explain our inability to meet a budget? Okay, look for the learning on that. There's always a stretch. There's always an opportunity that makes us better. If we go there with a positive attitude, if we go there with a mind, a mind of growth, then there's always a learning and an opportunity. And guess what? Then it will make the enjoyment that comes later even better. So one final question for you. So the people watching this right now are taking in a lot of information. They're probably going through all sorts of personal change, behavioral change, learning new things. What message or messages would you send to the new learner, the person going through this right now? That's a difficult question. (laughs) It's one of my favorites. (laughs) Be who you are. Just, uh, you know, don't kid yourself. I find uh, that one uh, one thing I, I, I hear people, especially younger people, uh, saying, well, I don't like this job today. I hate it, actually, but I'm doing it because of my career. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? That's a big what question. What does that mean? So if you are, if you're really going to be a good, uh, a good uh, soccer player, you know what? You have to climb hills. Thank you for sharing this time with us. If the experience resonated with you, follow us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or AmplifyMyLife.com. Share it with anyone else who's ready to amplify their lives. And remember to let our hearts speak in sequence. For more from Renee Rodriguez, visit MeetRenee.com. Thank you.